What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastic today on this Wednesday, May 19th. We are going to be talking a couple of different things around the combat sports and mixed martial arts uh, community, but this is episode 205 of the MMA Ratings Podcast, and I'm Raphael Garcia here with Schwan Humes. Schwan, why don't you take a minute to take everybody and tell everybody how you're doing? Well, you know me, same as always, trying to get these kids graduated and uh, training kids in basketball. It's kind of what I do. So we'll be talking about a couple of different things today. We're talking about Charles Oliveira. We're talking about UFC 262. We're going to be talking about Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, and a couple other things. But before we segue into all of that, Sean, I got to ask you a question. I need you to be honest with me here. In the last 20 years... What have you said bad about Kwame Brown? Because we need to make sure that he doesn't come for neither of us because he's coming and he's spraying the block, getting anybody and everybody he can. I know I've said some pretty bad things about Kwame Brown over the years. Um, but you thought, you know, you thought it was just going to let it. When he faded away from the league, you figured it would just go away and he'll be the butt of jokes like Sean Bradley or something like that. You can't even pick on Sean Bradley anymore because he's paralyzed. So yeah. we don't really have anyone left, but Kwame Brown's making it sure that we don't talk bad about him ever again. Yeah, the worst part about him is not only does he have money, because he's been, been made fun of for the past 20 years, he's had nothing but time to lay low and watch everybody else mess up. So he's got all this ammunition. Nobody's got anything on him. All they can say is basketball stuff because he hasn't come in the news. He's not broke. There's no domestic abuse. As far as I know, there's not, I hope nothing's out there. Because if it is, it's going to come up very soon. But so far, he has no skeletons in his closet. So nobody can say anything except you were bust. And he's heard that for 20 years. Everybody knows that. That ain't news. But all these other guys got money. He has nothing but time and yeah. nothing but money. Like Those are the worst two things. He has yep. nothing but time and nothing but money. And, and he, he has no connection to the industry. So he don't need to watch his mouth for nothing. None. His money's set. You can't, you can't mess with his money. He can say whatever he wants. He's been going off the cuff and just... I got a text from Luke yesterday at like 9 a.m. He's like, hey, are you following this Kwame Brown stuff? And I'm like, no. He had literally stopped and sent me a voice recording. Like, look, stop what you're doing. Get online and look at what Kwame Brown is doing. And I looked and I'm like, this guy, he's had enough. He's fed up. He's he's the kid that got bullied all throughout high school. He says, you know what? I'm going to come back after, after this summer break and I'm going to be jacked. And I want to yoke up all these bullies that's, that's been messing with me all these years. And that's exactly what he's been doing this last week. It's not even just, it's like anybody who mentions his name, Jamel Hills, Stephen Ace, like anybody who says anything about him, he's got a comment for. Even like the uh, announcers of the shows, he won't name them by name, but you know, those white folks or the white executive, it's like he's coming for everybody. He just, he just yeah. shooting, he just spraying. He just, cars drive by, he just unloading the clip. Who he hits, who he hits. Exactly. And he's going to, I mean, that's exactly what it is. He's going to hit whoever he's going to hit. But let's go ahead and move on from that. And let's talk about fights from this past weekend. We have UFC 262, where we have a new lightweight champion of the world. And you and I both thought Michael Chandler was going to come out with the win here. But we are living in a world where Charles Dobronx Oliveira has a title around his waist, perhaps the deepest lightweight division that we've seen in a very long time. Sean, what are your thoughts about that? Were you, uh, first let's talk about the fight itself. 
that first round? Did that, that I think that round went pretty much how we thought it would go. Yeah, um, the fight went exactly how I thought it would go. I, I said before, ultimately, I, I thought Chandler's experience, his experience and his athleticism would make the difference because that's basically what's always hindered uh, Oliveira. Guys have been able to jump on him, get to him quick, put him in bad positions. Um, and But my concern for Michael Chandler was, in his last two or three fights where he's won, he's never been, he hasn't ever really been hit. He's just been blowing guys out. So I'm like, what happens when he gets hit clean? So basically, Oliveira got clipped. He didn't get really hit clean. He got clipped, and he just survived the round. And then as soon as Chandler got hit, he got stunned and dropped, and then he got finished. It's like both guys showed tremendous offensive skill and ability. Both guys show why every fight moving forward, they're going to be 50-50 at best because they're so vulnerable. And I know Chandler's a big hitter. I know Oliveira's a devastating offensive fighter. But both guys, the minute they faced, they tested any real punishment, they uh, they were in bad, they were in bad spots. They were in really bad spots. Charles Oliveira was, and so what Oliveira was, and so was Chandler. And neither one of them took tremendous shots on the feet. It's like they got hit once or twice, and it was it was like done. It was it was just amazing. You you don't see guys of that caliber have fights turn around that quickly off basically, you know, pretty common offense. I mean, they, they were good offensively, but it wasn't anything tremendous. It wasn't like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. They just seem, they're just very vulnerable. Both guys are very good, but they are very, very vulnerable. Something I was listening to on uh, earlier this week was talking and actually talking about that with Charles Oliveira, and they, and they said that his vulnerability like that is going to put him in positions that he has to persevere. And if he's going to remain champion, he has to overcome those moments, those scary moments in fights. If we think back to GSP, for example, GSP was not in any danger in any of his fights until he fought Johnny Hendricks. He was in danger in a couple fights, a couple moments of that fight. He pulled, he had to overcome, and he had to pull it out. Like he had to show that championship grit and pull it out. When he fought Michael Bisping, he was in some bad spots. I mean, he was cut up pretty badly. He was getting and he was getting whooped on on the feet, so he had to get it to the mat and he had to submit him. But he was in some bad spots. When we see champions who are put in bad spots like that, who have to overcome, generally it makes them more interesting. Like Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson was almost never in any bad spots except for when he fought um, John Dotson and he got clipped early in that fight, got knocked down in the first two rounds. But look how he persevered there. John Jones has never really been in any bad spots. Like he he had that one scare with uh, Vitor Belfort years ago when he had hit, and he had that tight arm bar. But outside of that, he's never been in any dangerous, oh, my God, he's going to get finished spots. Alexander um, Gustafsson notwithstanding. So think about that. With Oliveira, does that make him a more interesting champion? Does that make his next fight more interesting to figure out who, who to see who he's going to fight next and to watch that? Because he, you never know what that outcome is going to be. Either he's going to go in there and get finished or he's going to go in there and finish somebody else. Yeah, I mean, that that's always a selling point. A lot of guys, I mean, part of the reason Demetrius Johnson never really crossed over is because of that perceived invincibility. It's like, how excited can I get for a fight over a guy who's never in any danger, who's pretty much in control? I mean, the worst thing I can expect from Johnson is, is if somebody survives two or three rounds. That That's exciting to us. It takes away some of the excitement. It takes away some of the interest. It... We, Oliveira, anybody he fights from num- from number two guy in the division to number 15 has a chance with him because he's always so vulnerable and he's, he showed a tendency not to recover from punishment. 
that makes every fight dangerous, which makes every fight a must-see. There's no gimme fights. In fact, there's no real upsets either because he's so vulnerable. Um, a lot of people say he was a quitter before, and I, I never saw him as a quitter. The problem he had earlier was offensively he was wild. He wouldn't come behind a jab. He wouldn't use long-range weapons. Everything was wild. Everything was wide. Everything was so he overpursued, so he got countered. Nowadays, he's much more measured. Everything is is in a structure. He sets a jab. He uses his long, his front kicks. He uses his range to build his, his offense. So he doesn't give you as many openings as he used to before. And secondly, his defense is better. Before, he used to get hit, and he would just leap on for a submission. And if he didn't get it, you would just pound him out, or he would just start firing back, and he would get countered. He'd get overwhelmed. Now, when he gets hurt, he's trying to tie up. He's trying to secure a position, control the arm, scoot away, cover up, get away. Before, he didn't do that. Before, he would just get hit, and he's so determined to find a submission or get back up, he'd open himself up. Now he's actually going through defensive defensive maneuvers and defensive steps to protect himself so that he can he can recover from fights. A lot of people were saying he's a quitter. I don't I don't think I never thought that, but part of the way you would handle quitting is actually to be more skilled. If you if you always gas, then you would try to work on your skills so that you could maximize your energy. If you know you're not physically tough, you can't take a lot of punishment, then you start working on your defense, you find ways to slow the fight down or find ways to control your opponent so his offense won't overwhelm you. All he's done is improve the efficiency of his offense and the depth of his defense, which has allowed him to get through rough spots. Because um, as I said, whoever hits whoever for clean, clean first is going to win the fight. Chandler didn't hit him as clean as people thought on the feed. He clipped him, but it wasn't Chandler didn't hit him the way he wanted to hit him. I don't think he really he really landed the way he wanted. And on the ground, he hit him a couple times, but a lot of that was through hands and missing and him, him turning and rolling. He wasn't just have him pinned down and teeing off him. That didn't happen. If that would have happened, I believe he would have stopped him. When Oliver hit Chandler, that was clean. He so real clean on him. You talk about the technique behind what Oliver has been displaying. The two things stood out to me. I loved how he was raising his knee as in as in a warning as if if Michael Chandler was going to change levels he was going to be dealing with a quick knee up up, up the middle he was using push kicks to really control the range you saw a lot of that in the first round but the finishing sequence in the second what started that was a very i mean it was was a very i don't want to say basic but it was like an intro level hook counter and everything about it was tight and clean like his heel heel was connected perfectly to the ground his hip rotated then his and he rotated through the through his shoulder and his hand when he clipped uh Chandler initially to drop him and then when you see him going to finish him he's not throwing any wild shots as, as you mentioned everyone is calculated and nearly every one of those final shots landed to get him out of there that is that is a wild a, a vast improvement over how we've seen him in the past. And it's those types of technical leaps that makes him more dangerous than when he was just trying to run out there and get his hands on you to submit you. Exactly. It's like when people say Amanda Nunes is gasping as much. It's so much better. She, she dedicated herself to the sport. Is it so much better or is she so much more efficient and sharper technically to add on to her athleticism where she's knocking people out in a round or she's in complete control? Because the first time she wasn't in complete control, in a fight in years, when she, I was told the gas tank issue was resolved, she fought Duran Duran to me, and after that first round, she was dead tired. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't resolved. You just come up with tools and buffers to make it manageable. Charles Oliveira came up with tools 
and buffers to make it manageable. And ju just to highlight a point that people are missing, Chandler has a hard time with length and range. He does. What he does is he's so explosive, he's so fast, that early on he can usually wipe most guys off the board. He lands he lands clean, blah, 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 finishes them. But a lot of his defense is the threat of his takedown and his athleticism. He used to be a little bit sharper defensively, but now he goes so hard on his offense, and I believe it's because he knows he can't take punishment and knows that the further a fight goes, the more acclimated people get to his speed. If, they, if you can do that first, first, that first round, first one or two rounds, you're acclimated to his speed. His speed and his power aren't jarring to you anymore. But once he loses the advantage of speed and explosiveness, we've seen lots of times where guys have walked him down. Primus walked him down. Ben Henderson, in their first fight, walked him down. I'm not saying they won, but they extended the fight and walked him down. Multiple guys, when he didn't get them out there the first round, you see in the second round, you see, see him taking a little bit more punishment. You see him getting a little bit more wild. A lot of his... A lot of his offense is built off his athleticism and his wrestling threat. With the threat of the wrestling not there, he had to lean exclusively on his ability to make reads and his footwork to close distance and his defensive ability to manage to parry slip and a counter shots at a distance. He's not very good at that. So once he couldn't just shoot in to get to a safe place, if you notice on the first round, he heard that guy. Why do you let him back up? He was stunned. Let him back up, blow his doors off. He knows, in my opinion, he knows he can't take those pun that punishment. He knows he doesn't want to get in extended exchanges with somebody who's longer, who's longer than him and creating transitional submissions. So he tried to just finish it out real quick. Didn't work. And as soon as they were in an extended exchange on the feet again, he, he, could, he had nothing for Oliveira on this, in that second round. He had absolutely nothing for him on the feet. And as soon as Oliveira caught him clean, the fight was essentially done. I mean, it went a little bit further, but he, he had him rocking. He had it almost out on the feet when he went to the fence. Charles Oliveira was in almost out when he dropped. He got clipped. He got stunned. He fell. He was in almost out. Chandler was pretty much done after he got dropped. True, true. So let's let's talk about what's next for both men. You have one guy who is the champion. There are people who are questioning his championship reign because obviously you have Dustin Poirier sitting out there going after the money fight as he should have with Conor McGregor. What do you, who do you see is next for him? I, obviously, I, I think you know the UFC is going to go with that winner out of McGregor and Poirier. What do you think his chances are against either man? Against Poirier, I think he has some chances because Poirier has a, has he has he has punching power, but I think the length gives us some issue. I think the fact that Poirier, for the history of his career, has always gone for that guillotine. That, that's a sub. That's a problem. He missed that guillotine on Oliveira, and Oliveira is on top of him. It's it's lights out. I also think that Dustin Poirier is explosive as he is as a puncher and is durable. I feel like he's on the piece. He's at a point where he's at a tipping point. He can beat anybody, but I think anybody can beat him at the same instance. I, I would favor his punching power, but to me, Justin, a lot of Dustin's fight relies on him persevering. That's a great quality to have. But eventually, when your thing is to survive and work your way out of bad spots, eventually that catches up to you. And when he's fought guys who have had a depth of skill, enough athleticism, and they've forced exchanges and they put him in bad spots, eventually he found his way into a spot where he was eventually finished, especially against guys with good grappling. It hasn't happened often, but how many guys have really been able to put him into bad spots? When they have, they've exploited it. When they haven't, he's won pretty clearly. I think Oliveira has enough athleticism, enough length, and enough defensive awareness to put him into bad spots or at least create entries for his takedowns where he can he can finish. And if he gets on top of Poirier, I have no faith that Poirier can survive that. 
What about Connor? Um, I still I and let me clarify. I think Poirier is particularly vulnerable to him, but I would still favor him. I'm still going to say that Connor as well beats Oliveira because Connor is a much sharper puncher, and as bad as people say his grappler he is, he's really not as bad a grappler as people say he is. I mean, Khabib had him in control for a whole round. He didn't finish him. How many people have had Khabib on them for a whole round and didn't get finished? Justin Gaethje can't say that. He was on top of Dustin Poirier for like 45 seconds and he finished him. That's what he does. Michael Johnson didn't make it out around on top of him. And I know people say he lost and he was dominated. All well and good. But the fact of the matter is Khabib got the fight where he wanted. He had full control. And for a round, he was unable to finish Conor McGregor, who's supposedly a terrible grappler. How the hell does that happen if he's a terrible grappler? The second round, he couldn't even get him down. So I think Conor's length, his shot selection, and his accuracy against somebody who's notoriously chinny, um, Oliveira's going to get hit. Oliveira, somewhere between the first and third round, Oliveira gets stopped. He's not beating Conor McGregor. I, I do not think he beats him. He's currently listed as an underdog to each, and I think that that's kind of right. Uh, but we'll see um, because we have that Connor and Poirier. Think, think about one last thing, and and this is a big win for him. But we have to admit, Michael Chandler was probably one of the shakiest lightweight championship contenders in a while. He only had one win over, over a guy who was basically a a glorified journeyman. Dan, Daniel Hooker's never he he's got an elite rank, he hasn't really beaten elite fighters. And except for Michael Chandler, Charles Oliveira has never beaten elite fighters. He, he just hasn't. At least at least Connor has one elite guy on his resume at, at lightweight, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez win is, to me, better than a, than a Michael Chandler win. Eddie Alvarez was on his shit back then, and Connor made it look, it wasn't competitive, it wasn't close, he made it look easy. I've never seen Charles Oliveira, and I st- still haven't seen Charles Oliveira just completely dismantle and dominate somebody. Even against Tony, that was a little bit of a back and forth. So based on what they've done, if Connor is really still into the sport and willing to commit to it, he's going to stop him. I, and until I see otherwise, I, I'm going to go with that. I don't know that Connor gets by Dustin. I don't know who's going to win out of that fight right now, but I still would favor both over him. I just think Dustin's a little bit more vulnerable because he tends to put himself in bad spots. And I what do think- uh, you do next with um, Chandler? I, I think that... I like the idea of him fighting Justin Gaethje at some point. Uh, I saw an interesting name pop up, though, and Islam Makashev is out there waiting for someone ranked number five or higher. I don't think anybody wants that fight, but no. I, mean, I don't blame him. Nobody wants that fight at all. So what do you think is next for Michael Chandler? I I can't see him fighting Islam because Islam doesn't have a big enough name. Beating Islam doesn't put you back in the mix very quickly. It depends. Does Michael Chandler want to be put right back in the mix or does Michael Chandler want to take his time and see if he can make some adjustments? So, Because the, the best guys in the division are guys who are capable of di- dynamic offense. So if his defense isn't more put together and more controlled, he's going to be exposing himself at one point or another to these guys. Every single guy over there, Gaethje, Connor, Oliveira again, the, you know, maybe Dariush isn't, isn't as big a threat. But beating Islam, I don't know what that does for him. Beating Gaethje is a possibility, but that's a big risk because yeah, I, I think I think Gaethje. You're not just going to control Justin Gaethje. Yeah, you're, I think he puts it on. Who who who's who's ever fought Justin Gaethje and not gotten cracked? You know, and and um, he's not going to get Connor. 
Yeah. I don't think Dustin Poirier has any reason to fight him. He's kind of in a no man's land right now. If I was him, I'd probably go for Benil Dariush. He has a big win over Tony. He's got some hype behind him. He's ranked higher than Dariush. He's just challenged for a title. Dariush wants to get to the title. Beating Chandler gets him. It doesn't get him to the title, but after the winner of Poirier, Conor McGregor, they really wouldn't have anybody else ahead of him because Gaethje still doesn't even have a fight scheduled yet. So yeah, if it, I, I, I agree. I think the, that the Benil fight would probably be the best route yeah. for him from his, a career standpoint. It would be a best route for him. For the fans, that Justin Gaethje, a, a five-round Justin Gaethje fight on like a ESPN or whatever or something like that, sign me up for that all day because that's going to be – it's going to, somebody's not going somebody's going home a little bit shaky after that. I don't think it's getting out of two rounds. No, I, I don't I don't think so either. I mean, and the fact of the matter is we I've seen Gaethje take hellacious punishment and and eventually fold. Mm-hmm. Pretty in his last couple losses, as soon as Michael Chandler was caught clean, Michael Chandler was done. It wasn't like he took tons of punishment for a whole round and he eventually got broken. He took like five to seven shots on the feet and he was done. I mean, there was a little bit after it, but the fight was never in question after he got, after he got dropped. That's, I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. I can't think of any Chandler fights where he's taken a lot of damage for an extended period of time. If you nope. think about like when he fought Will Brooks both times, you know, he was stopped because of like overwhelming damage early. Even like the last time he's probably taken a sustained <clears throat> amount of damage for like an extended period of time could possibly be that second Eddie Alvarez fight uh, yep. where they went back and forth for such an instant. Like, that was it. Outside of that, he either blows the doors off of you or he gets stopped. It's years ago, and that damage catches up to you. That, and it, it, in a lot of his fights, there's a lot of high contact. That damage chips into you. He looks like, to me, he looks like a guy who spars very hard. That damage catches up to you. Recently, he either, like you said, blows your doors off or he you, you touch him and it's done. Pitbull touched him, done. Charles Oliveira touched him. I know it's not that simple. He didn't just touch him, but he didn't hit him. He wasn't winding up and loading up. I mean, those were normal shots. It was a Tony, Tony, Ferguson, Tony, Tony Ferguson, the guy who shot, took those shots and didn't go out. Yeah, it was a very tight hook. I was looking at it when when they replayed. It was a very tight hook. Very, it was very technical. I like that. That's what it made me look. It looked like somebody was holding pads for him, and he just snapped the hook out there. What does that tell? What does that tell you about Michael Chandler's defense? Wasn't there that night. His hands were definitely low. Um, let's talk about Benil Darius and his win because he basically dominated Tony Ferguson for 15 minutes. Does this say more about Benil or does this say more about Tony? It says more about Tony. Benil's who he is. He's He's gotten more refined. His conditioning is a little bit better. He, he's established more of an identity. But once again, he's not beating a bunch of world beaters either. Who, who's the world beater he's beating at lightweight? Him, him and Oliveira have been able to move up the ranks without having to fight any single elite person. Yeah, they've been begging for it. I call for it. Fact is, you ain't beating an elite person. You beating a bunch of second and third tier guys on your way up. Beating Tony Ferguson, this is a matter of Tony not being who he used to be. Tony, the worst thing about him is he has the skills to box you, to wrestle intelligently, to grapple intelligently. But for some reason, he's chosen to to skip those, and he's always trying to break his opponent. His whole style was built on his durability. He could take punishment. So he, he could put a, a lot of pressure on you, a lot of volume, his physicality and his conditioning. You take him down. He got taken down all the time. There was four. He had the energy to scramble, and he'd be willing to take abuse. You hit him with a shot, he'd, he'd roll through that shot, get back to his feet. Roll through that shot, attempt a submission. Roll through that shot, and roll through, and then get back up. 
Now he can't. Now that shot that he used to roll through stuns him. Now those those escapes he can't pull them off. He's not explosive enough. His cardio doesn't hold up enough, and he doesn't have the physicality enough. All Darius did was positionally dominate him, which is what I I thought would happen. On the feed, it wasn't tremendously great. Darius wasn't doing anything really world class, but when he got his hands on him, took him down. Instead of getting reverse or or Tony sneaking out the side, he established position and just basically controlled him and worked him over. It was it was a, buy, a paint by the numbers type fight. It wasn't dynamic. It wasn't a great finish. It, it wasn't anything of that nature. He just chopped him up. He controlled him and chopped him up. So Darius is moving up, but it's not with any real fanfare. It's a great win for him. But if we look at Tony Ferguson, he's not the same guy. He's almost T T Wood bad now. And, and that's a great analogy because I want to talk about his 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 falling apart compared to. T Wood because they T Wood has lost what four fights in a row and yes. Tony's on three and now you saw Tony post on social media talking about now he's mad now he's fired up I mean I don't think it's really going to change much but who's I guess deconstruction has been worse to see uh, Woodley or Ferguson Woodley's looks worse because he's less skilled Woodley. To wrestle, but he's never much of a grappler. Like real talk, Woodley doesn't really grapple people. He doesn't. To be honest, he doesn't even really wrestle people. To be honest, he's basically a one weapon striker. He might throw the left hand here and there. He might throw leg kicks here and there. He knows how to do those things. But basically, it's back up, back up, blow your doors off. So once his athleticism left, and he's he did he doesn't to me he doesn't make reads super quick. He's always had the he sees them, but he doesn't make it immediately. He had the explosiveness and power to make up. Even if you got your hands there, he'd punch right through it. Even if you beat him to an angle, he could explode out and catch you before you could react. Once that was gone, he had no backup tools. He's not just getting taken down. He's getting submitted. He's getting worked over. He's not even able to be competitive. Ferguson was competitive in spots with Oliveira. He landed shots. He just doesn't have the power to put him away, and he doesn't have any structure to his offense, so he couldn't build on it. Against Dariush, it was more of a domination, but Dariush was never really able to secure such a position that he could put him in a position where the ref might stop because he's taking so much abuse or he could finish him. For, uh, Woodley's getting finished, out-hustled, out-wrestled, out-struggled. He's getting beat across the board. He's not even really really able to intelligently defend himself because he doesn't have a secondary or ter- or third skill to lean on. His striking's not working, he can't wrestle you. His wrestling's not working, he can't pull guard and finish you. Or if you take him down, he can't, he doesn't use take, he doesn't use submission. What does he do? He gets taken down and beaten up. If he's striking, he just stands up and takes punishment. So he doesn't have any skills to fall back on. Tony has the skills to fall back on, but they've kind of atrophied because he's focused so much on using his physical tools to get him through. He still has the skills. That's why he's able to survive and not really just get his doors blown off. But he doesn't have – he hasn't structured them in a manner that allows him to win fights anymore. But I think it looks a lot worse for Woodley because he just – I don't know. It just looks it's like he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do, and he doesn't want the contact. Tony still wants to fight, and he looks like he wants to fight. With Woodley, it seems like he just doesn't have that fire in him anymore. When he gets hit, he seems like he doesn't want to engage, and, and it just looks worse when you don't want to engage or you're, it, you look really tired or you look like you're looking for a way out. Tony just looks outclassed. He doesn't look like he's been broken. or he's. And I don't mean to say Tyron's, bro- Tyron's broken. It just seems like he doesn't have the same fire. Tony has the fire. He just doesn't have the billet anymore. Tony definitely does have the fire because you see how he talks about it. And he is, is almost his body doesn't keep up. But he looked slow to me as soon as the fight started on Saturday. He looked a step off as if as if he was moving 
I'll, I'll say it, he looked as if like he wasn't warm. He wasn't loose. He wasn't able to react. And you could see, and that's the thing about older fighters. I would hate to say, I, and I don't want to use the word older like that, but those type of those fighters that are at the end of their push, mm-hmm. they look like a step behind. Well, the thing, is, the thing also is, he was never he was never fast to begin with. He fought at a fast pace. Tony Ferguson isn't some kind of great athlete as far as his explosiveness, his power, agility. Maybe he has some interesting striking stuff, but he's never been the best athlete. I mean, let let's face it. Tony Ferguson he's beaten a lot of good to to very good guys. He's never beaten any really great guys. His whole reputation is based on the fact that no matter what you hit him with. He's never going to get tired. He's never going to get scared. And he's eventually going to wear you down and then overwhelm you. Nobody's ever talked about Tony's power, his dynamic athleticism. And Tony's never beat anybody with real power and real dynamic athleticism. I guess Anthony Pettis. But at this point, Anthony Pettis would, had lost two or three steps. Anthony Pettis was not the same Anthony Pettis. And even Anthony Pettis had moments against him. Even against guys who were shells of themselves, Tony Ferguson never had any easy wins. Donald Cerrone looked good against Tony Ferguson for a round and a half. Anthony Pettis looked good against Tony Ferguson for about a round, a round, maybe a round and a half. But when he fought somebody like a Justin Gaethje, he didn't really have very many moments. When he fought um, Charles Oliveira, he didn't have a lot of moments. When he fought Daniel Bar- Benil Darius, he didn't have a lot of moments. His style is really predicated on his ability to push that pace, work his way out of everything, and just and just break guys down. He can't do that anymore. So now he doesn't he doesn't know how to use his skills in the correct manner because the whole manner he's using them in was from a position of strength. He doesn't know how to use his skills when he can't just outpace someone or out physical someone. He, he just doesn't know. He can mentally he knows it, but he can't apply it into a into a fight scenario because that's what he's been doing for the better part of five to seven years. Same way Tyron Woodley can't change his fight style because all he's been doing is throwing the right hand and backing up. Now they're telling him to go forward and throw combinations. He can't he can do it here and there, but he can't do it well. He can't do it being defensively responsible because He's built his whole style and his whole skill set around taking advantage of these attributes that no longer exist. So, like I said, the only difference, Tony looks good because he wants it. And desire and push when you're tough can get you through a lot of things. I don't know that Woodley wants it like that anymore. I'm not saying he doesn't. I, he doesn't fight like he does. And that's why it looks worse on Woodley when he's getting beat. So let's talk about someone who <clears throat> like they want the smoke. They still are in this game. And they still want to get in there and put hands on people. Edson Barbosa looked really good on Saturday. And I see some individuals who are kind of painting it as Barbosa looked good because Burgos was the exact type of opponent for him to showcase against. Um, but this is his third win in um, 145. He had that split decision loss to, was it Rob Font, to start things off. So I thought it was Ige. Ige, Dan Ige, that's right. It was... Um, uh, Danny Gay had that split decision loss, but some people think feel like he won. What are your thoughts about Edson Barbosa at 145? Is he is he going to find his way to a title? Is he a threat to beat Volkanovski or Max Holloway? What are your What are your thoughts about Edson at 145? I think the biggest thing with Edson is that at 45, at least with the higher the better fighters, his athleticism isn't going to be, in, especially with the fact he's been through a lot. And he's not in his peak anymore. I don't think his athleticism is going to be as big a factor as it used to be. But on the plus side, some of those guys fighting at 155 were coming down from 170. Maybe some guys even coming down from, from 180. They could handle whatever he had to dish out as far as his power a lot better. Some of those guys could go two or three rounds absorbing it. 
some of those guys could just survive because they they were able to thread enough with their own power that he couldn't completely tee off at all times. But at, at 45, the guys don't carry the same power worth. They don't carry the same size. And as a result, they don't carry the same durability. He can just stick to the basics and eventually break guys down. And still, he, he has tremendous speed advantage over guys of a, of a Shane Burgos-type skill set. Um, he didn't show me anything different. Uh, I talked to his trainers. I talked to people who spar him. He, he's a better boxer than a lot of people think he is, but I knew that before. He's still explosive as a kicker. He still can take it to the body and to the legs as far, far as absorbing punishment. He's still athletic. He's still technically a good kicker. He's still creative offensively. He didn't show us anything we didn't know. The question was, would he be able to hold up when Shane Burgos put pressure on him? Because generally what's broken what's broken um, Barboza down is his inability to handle pressure. When guys push back and they start really putting shots together on him, he is he's tended to wilt against the better guys. But that's mostly elite guys. Shane Burgos is an elite. So I, I wasn't shocked by it. Shane Burgos doesn't have the skill set to beat um, Edson Barboza. He – he doesn't pay attention to defense. He's like TJ Dillashaw. Out here, defense is fine. As soon as he goes to work offensively, his defense falls off a cliff. And he's not a dynamic puncher. He's not a dynamic athlete. He's a guy who gets by on grit and pace more than he does um, nuance defensively and offensive genius. And that kind of guy isn't going to beat an Edson, Edson Barbosa. He's basically there to take everything Edson has. It was just going to come down to how much abuse could he take. And I had no thought in my mind that he could take the kind of abuse Edson was going to dish out to a stationary target who was, who was insisting on taking three or four for every one or two he landed. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a great matchup. It was a great matchup for the fans as far as the fight. It's a great matchup for Edson Barboza. It was a real bad matchup for Shane Burgos. He, he, didn't, he didn't have the skill set, physical or technical, to fight a guy like Edson Barboza. He had chances because of his aggression, but to land those shots, you got to walk through hell to get to him. And eventually, the, I guess you want to say the fire got too much and his body shut down on him. And just for an update for our MMA and NBA fans, uh, Steph Curry hits a three at the buzzer for halftime. Golden State's up 55-42, heading into the locker room at the end of the first half. So, say it again? So these guys aren't playing. This, this, if they lose this, it's a bad loss for the L.A., man. That was a big shot. He he hit that clean at the buzzer. You got to get the ball out of his hands. But anyway, let's talk more about some. We're going to move on from UFC 262 and talk about some boxing because there's some interesting news there. Uh, the It looked like for a moment we were going to get Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. And Deontay Wilder comes bursting into the scene like the ex, the, the ex that you want to go away, but who can't understand that you're no longer together. So let's get let's let's take a step back and let's talk about the situation we're in because there has been a court ruling now that Deontay Wilder is guaranteed a third fight. So what occurred was when Wilder and Fury fought the second time, the loser of that fight was guaranteed a third fight if they agreed to take a 60-40 first split. Wilder lost and he agreed to take that 40% of the purse. The fight was originally booked for, I think, August of last year. Obviously, COVID said that's not happening. It was booked for December. 
COVID once again said, we're not doing that. So it was pushed into 2021. Now, when it was pushed into 2021, Fury's team said, you know what? We've done our due diligence to get this fight booked. We can't get a book, so we're going to move on. Wilder went to court. They went to court over it. Wilder's team won. Now he's guaranteed a fight. So it looks like that's the fight we're going to get next. However, there's an option in which Fury's team can basically back the Brinks truck up, give Wilder a bunch of money, and say, go away. So there's options that they're looking at to see if that occurs. They've uh, Top Rank has booked Allegiant Stadium for July 24th, I believe, something like that, which is less than two months away, a little bit more than two months away. Schwann, who do we see Tyson Fury fight next? Anthony Joshua or uh, Deontay Wilder? I mean, I think I can't imagine Deontay Wilder went through all this trouble just to get step aside money. I think he really wants to fight. So I think he's going to push for it. I don't think there's any step aside money he's willing to take. Um, I mean, and if they do, it's, it's going to be a big number. But I think part of the reason he waited this long was to kind of force his hand into getting into fight, basically being a thorn in their side until um, – and hitting Fury where it hurts his his uh, wallet, you know, because now this is this is a big payday for Fury. If Fury won this fight, win or lose, I think if he fought when he, when he fought Anthony Joshua, he was going to retire afterwards. I think Fury's on his last fumes. I think he's really ready to be done with it, and um, I think Deontay Wilder knows that, and Deontay Wilder is trying to leverage this it to force his hand because he he knows he doesn't he if. If Fury beats Joshua, he's not staying around to fight him again. He's already fought him twice. He's not fighting him a third time. So that, that, that would leave him facing Joshua, who was also defeated by Fury, which takes away um, Deontay's any claim Deontay has to be in the best heavyweight of all time, which he, he's not, or to be one of the best heavyweight of his generation, which I don't know that he is either. So I don't, I don't know that he takes any step aside money. Now, if I was his team, I would probably take step aside money because he's trying to, to revamp his style, install some new things, and that that doesn't that doesn't happen overnight. I don't care if he's been working with that guy for six months. That doesn't happen overnight. You don't learn to do that stuff under pressure, especially against the best opposition you face. You need time to work that in. You need time to spar. You probably need to face you probably need to face at least one guy to get pressure tests on of live action, live bullets coming at you, and he's not going to get that if he fights Fury. That'll be his next fight. So I don't know that any of those changes he's trying to make were going to be put in or become second nature to the point that it's going to make a difference in a fight with a guy who's so much better than him technically and has so much experience as far as being an amateur boxer and a professional boxer. Um, I don't know that it makes a difference for him. Mm-hmm. I was, honestly, if I was Fury, I know Fury didn't want to fight him again, but if I was Fury and he wanted the rematch immediately, I would have fought him immediately. He was not going to recover from that abuse. He had just lost his trainer. He was talking like a lunatic. Mm-hmm. If you knock him out again, it's a huge payday for you. Now you've got all the momentum. You're calling the shots against Anthony Joshua because you beat the other best heavyweight, one of the top three heavyweights. You beat him twice. Stop. You. Some people think you beat him three times. Either way, you beat him two out of the three times. you got all the momentum. You're calling the shots now. You don't have to worry about Deontay Wilder's mouth because you've crushed him twice in a row. And he didn't have time to recover or time to adjust. When he when Deontay lost, I said Deontay needs to take time off. He needs to take time off. He needs to get a new trainer, figure out what he's going to do, recondition, start working on his skills, and hopefully put himself in a position where he can fight 
later on for the title. Now he's had, what, a year, year and a half off to recover whatever physicality he has, whatever mental process he has, and now he's working on a skill set. So now he at least has a chance because he's going to be closer to 100%. Not technically, but at least physically. If I was Fury, I would have got that out of the way right away. Just knock him out right now. But they never thought that he would go this far to mess with his money. And they clearly don't understand who Deontay Wilder is. That dude yeah. has... That dude, that dude's one, he's got a one-track mind, and he wasn't going to let this go. So he could have just, Fury could have eliminated this a, a year ago. Let me rematch this dude. Let me knock him out. On to the next thing. But he decided to try to play politics, and I don't, I don't think Deontay Wilder is the kind of guy who does boxing politics. I don't think that's how he operates. I think he's got a little bit of Kwame, Kwame Brown in him in that regard. Uh, uh, so that's, I don't know if I want to see this fight a third time. To be honest, I want to see that fight with Joshua. I think it's going to be, and that will be an interesting fight, but I don't know if I want to see him fight Tyson Fury a third time. Um, it's been yeah. more than a year, but we'll see what that really looks like. I want to see this. Neither, neither fight, if you think about it, neither fight was really competitive. The first fight, Fury outboxed them. If not for those couple knockdowns, it wasn't really all that close, to mm-hmm. be honest. In the second fight, he just backed them up and beat them up. I mean, they they had high drama because of what happened, but they weren't really all-time great fights. Because Dante Wilder is an all-time great puncher, maybe an all-time great athlete. He is not an all-time great fighter. So they weren't they weren't great fights, but like I said, Wilder doesn't care what you want. He doesn't care what the fans want. He doesn't care what Fury wants. He doesn't care what Joshua wants. He wants his chance of redemption. And I admire him for this because if he loses this fight, he's essentially done as an elite fighter. He, he's pushed himself all the way back. If Fury wins again, Fury walks away. He's the best heavyweight of the champ of the generation. Even if he if he beats if Fury beats him and then beats Joshua, he's the best featherweight of the, the heavyweight of the generation. If for some reason Fury beats him and then loses to Joshua, Joshua can totally avoid Jonathan Wilder for the rest of his career. You lost this guy and I beat him. Enough said. The only way this works in his favor is if he beats Fury, and that's at best a 50-50 proposition. At the very best, it's a 50-50 proposition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're correct about that. Let me ask you another question about boxing before we move on. Um, Charlo has mentioned that he's willing to fight Canelo at either 160 or 168 or figure out a catch weight in there. Do you think that fight happens, or, are they, or is this just more boxing talk? I mean, Canelo's I, I don't. Charlo fights at 160, right? He said he's willing to meet him at 160 or 168. Yeah, at 160, I can't imagine Canelo going backwards for one. I mean, if he's going to go backwards, he might as well fight Good Lovekin. That'd be a bigger money fight. And two, if Charlo moves up, he doesn't have any belts. He has he has no reason. He's not a huge ticket seller. He's not very popular as far as pay per view sales. He doesn't have any belts. What's 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 Canelo's reasoning for fighting him? Fighting a guy moving up who doesn't have any belt. It's great for Charlo. And, and to a degree, it would be great for Canelo because it'd be a, another high-class, world-class fighter, elite fighter, you want to say. But Canelo's fought a lot of world-class elite fighters. This just isn't anything different. They'd have to have something to offer him. And I can't imagine they have the money and they don't have any leverage because they don't have any belts, you know? And for and for him to take the for Charlo to get that fight, Al Heyman would have to screw over another one of his fighters 
who's pretty much on track to get the fight with Canelo, which would be Caleb Plant. So I, I don't think there's any chance that fight happens. Um, I Is mean, it's probably a threat. Uh, Last week, who, who was a threat to Canelo? Is Charlo a threat? Charlo's a threat. I mean, he's a good enough athlete. He's a good enough boxer. Uh, he's he's undefeated. He's fought a myriad of styles. He's very accomplished. I feel like there's things he could do to make it tough on Canelo. I think there's things that you could do in, in a perfect world that could help him beat Canelo. I don't think he's a big enough puncher. Even in his weight class, I don't think he's a big enough puncher. He's a good boxer. Is he better than Canelo technically, defensively, and offensively? I don't know that. And to be honest, he hasn't been terribly active. So even if he fights him, this will be like, what, his second fight in the year? It'll be like Canelo's fourth. You know, it's it's hard to make up the gap in skill. As I said a couple of weeks ago, it's hard to catch up to him because Canelo's in sparring and in training camp with a purpose. Every single time he's there, he's working towards something. So it has to be sharp. It has to be precise. The sparring partners have to be right. The coaching has to be right. The film work has to be right because there's an actual light at the end of the tunnel that he's going to have to face. Charlo doesn't really have anything lined up, nothing that's a big enough threat where, you know, there, there's there's not as much money on the table with him. If he loses the fight, it, I don't think it ruins his legacy. I don't think it's the big, it's big a hit to him. I, I think they think they're playing two different games, and Canelo is really serious about the game he's playing. He, he has a chance to go down as an all-time great in Mexico and an all-time great overall as boxing if his only loss is to Floyd Mayweather. Um, I think Charlo has the tools to beat him in a perfect world, but I, I still don't I can't pick I can't I can't picture him doing enough stuff right over 12 rounds to beat Canelo. I don't think he's a big enough puncher. I don't think he's a he's a better athlete. I don't think he's a good enough athlete. I don't think he's a good enough boxer to beat him. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in seeing the fight. Like I, like I said last week, who is the threat? Who is the threat? When are we going to get that fight? Like, I want to see, I want to be watch. I want to be watching. I want to watch a Canelo fight where it's not a foregone conclusion. Well, the thing is, it's not a foregone conclusion because Canelo's fighting bums. It's not a foregone conclusion because these guys aren't accomplished. It's a foregone conclusion because he's so good. You know, I mean, if he fights and beats Caleb Plant, Caleb Plant's a very good fighter. Canelo's just on a different level. I mean, giving people what they wanted. He's given them what they want. He's he's fought guys who were risk for him. Laura was a risk for him. Obviously, Mayweather. Austin Trout at the time he fought was a risk for him. Golovkin fighting him twice was a risk for him. He's taken risky fights. Daniel Jacobs was a dangerous fight. He's taken risky fights. He's taken chances. So it's not like he hasn't given that to us fans. He's just maintaining a, a, a good work rate in between the big names. That's the advantage he has. While these big names are sitting six to eight months waiting for Canelo, Canelo's fighting every six to eight months, staying razor sharp. So when he comes into the biggest fight of his career or the next biggest fight of his career, he's razor sharp. He's been through three training camps. He's been watching so much film. He's been fighting a guy with a similar style and similar skill set as the person he's fighting. He's prepared. He's prepared to do whatever he needs to do to win. And he's in tip-top shape physically and in mentally, He's 100% locked in. He's living, eating, breathing, eating, eating and breathing boxing, which these other guys can't afford to do because they don't have fights scheduled. You can't immerse yourself in that for a year and a year and a half straight. You can't immerse yourself in that for six months with no end goal in sight. Canelo always has an end goal, which forces them to evolve. It forces him to stay on point mentally and physically. These guys don't have that. They're they're just waiting for him, and and, and that's it's not going to work. 
They have to drum up interest to get a fight with him. Charlo, there's nothing Charlo can do that's going to drum up enough interest to force Canelo's hand. And he has no belt. So would it be an interesting fight? Would I like to see it? Yeah. Is it going to happen? He doesn't sell enough. He hasn't done anything to create interest. He, he has no belt to entice um, Canelo with. So he has nothing to bring, to bring to the table. I'll meet you at 160. He's not going down to 160 for you. I'll come at 168. That's great. What do you have? Why should I fight you at 168? Because you want it? Who cares what you want? True, true. So we're going to move on to the last topic of the night. We, we're almost running at an hour because uh, our editor-in-chief, the man in charge, uh, Michael, sent in two very funny and interesting topics. And we may only have time to get through one of them because I, I added a twist to it. So Tough is coming back. Brian Ortega and Alexander Volkanovsky are heading it up. This is like the 34th season of Tough. Um, I... Don't give a fuck about Tough. I haven't watched it since GSP was on. Um, but Mike asked an interesting question. Would a celebrity-based edition of Tough work and get people excited to watch? The answer is yes to me. But I'm going to take it a step further, Sean, and we're going to play a game. We're going to name four men and four women each. You're going to name four and four. I want to name four and four. Who would you have in the house for the celebrity edition of Tough. Yeah, that'd be hard to say. Like, am I just getting regular celebrities? Yep. Or like some like not like you can't say like you can't Beyonce? say like, Brock Lesnar, you know, because he's a celebrity and he fights. Like, Can Beyonce go on Tough House? Beyonce's a Beyonce's a celebrity, so that's your number one pick. You get four women and four men. I don't know if I would go with celebrity celebrities or celebrities who have a background in martial arts to make it. Yeah, no, 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 no. We got to go celebrity celebrities. Oh, God. Um, Beyonce, Rihanna, Adele, and Cardi B? No. Yeah. Wait, no. Did I say Nicki? No, no. I take the back. Beyonce, Rihanna, Cardi B, and Nicki Minaj. Okay. So those are your four women. You said Beyonce, Rihanna, Cardi B, and... Nikki, so you took, you took Rihanna, or excuse me, not Rihanna, you took Cardi B for me. That was going to be one of my picks. So then I will go with, I'm going to go with Megan Thee Stallion, because I feel like she could put some hands on people. Um, I want to go with Foxy Brown, Pam Greer. Yeah, I can see that. I'm going to go with her, potentially Uma Thurman. Let's see if let's see if she can bring any of those Kill, Kill Bill um, Pulp Fiction vibes into the cage. Angelina Jolie, my alternate, is going to be Kim Kardashian. Yeah, with me, I'm just literally going for ratings. It's like when Kimbo came on there, he didn't have a good chance to win, but we're going to find some way to horn him in so he keeps the ratings. Because beyond before I got, everybody from every aspect is going, the beehive alone is going to be record-breaking. The UFC won't have to run another live show for probably the next 10 years off the raids. They're going to get to see Beyonce for uh, six weeks, training to fight of all things. Um, let me see for the guys. Dude, that would be really hard. I can't I keep trying to think who's the, who's the guy who's famous enough that would make this worth it. Who's, I can't even think of any big stars who, I mean, like maybe Will Smith, Will Smith, Mark Wahlberg. Those are, those, um, those are two good picks. Will Smith, Mark Wahlberg. Who's somebody else? 
Um, somebody who's famous. And this is actually pretty difficult. Will Smith, Mark Wahlberg. Who is a famous guy? Um, maybe uh, Justin Timberlake and Usher. Okay. Um, okay, I like the Justin Timberlake um, pick. My four men. I don't know if I want to pick them. I don't like. I'm looking at The Rock, and I'm like, do we get him in there? I don't know how I didn't even think about him. I'm looking at The Rock, like, do we get him in there? Does he do it? Okay, so I'm going to go with The Rock first. Um, I'm going to go with Soldier Boy. I think that would be fucking hilarious. Like, that would be comedy from start to finish. So we can do, do Soldier Boy. You already took Justin Timberlake. So I'm going to go with somebody like Sean Hannity from... Fox News, I think that would be hilarious. And then let's round it out with Skip Bayless. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would tune in to see Skip Bayless potentially get his shit pushed in. Yes. A lot of, yes, a lot yes. of people would tune in for that. I mean, if, we're, if, if I would have thought about it, I probably would have said Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. I was going to go Stephen A. Smith for a second, but I'm like, who do people hate more? Do they hate Stephen A. Smith more or do they hate Skip Bayless more? Do you know how many fighters would tune in just to watch Stephen A. Smith fight, like you were talking all that stuff about us. Yeah, I feel like Skip has a bigger following. I think you know what? If if I can book it, they're gonna fight. Like that's our first round fight. They're fighting each other. Yeah, I, I think I think I honestly I think Skip would take it. Skip's in really good shape, dude. If nothing else, he's in very good shape. Funny story. Funny story. This story is um probably about. From 2008, so almost what about 12 years old, 13 years old. So mm-hmm. I used to work at ESPN, and I used to work in. I used to go. I used to work overnight, but I would go to the gym late before my night shifts. Every night I would be in there with Skip Bayless. Every night, and he worked out every single night. So you're right. He was in great shape. But the dude, first off, he wore weightlifting gloves, which you can't be surprised at. But he used to wear the smallest pink biker shorts to lift weights in that I've ever seen in my life. I don't care who you follow on Instagram, any of the fitness models you may follow, any of those, any of those joints on IG that, that you may follow that have that work out and do CrossFit or work out and do Instagram fitness. Skip Bayless's shorts were smaller than all of them, smaller and tighter than all of them. And it's, it is seared in my mind. This is 13 years ago. And it is, if I go to sleep right now, I'm going to have a nightmare about it because that's how ingrained in my head it really was. And that is, and so you're right. He does work out. He does, he is in shape. But unfortunately, I have a vivid memory of what that shape looks like because of those goddamn shorts. That's crazy. I can't believe you, you were next to TV royalty. I wouldn't say royalty. You TV, TV something, all right. So the last... Um, topic is kind of within the same space with Triller and if fans would be interested in seeing Tim Tebow fight in Triller. I mean, I would, this this is me, I would want to see him booked on Triller and I would want to see his reaction to all the other shenanigans going on since he's so high and mighty within his Christian faith. I would like to see his reaction and his disgust with himself for being involved with the show that has so much other debauchery going on before he fought. 
If they wanted to break the record, if they put if they could somehow get Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick to fight, that would break records. Because Tim Tebow, even though he's a nice guy, he represents the you want to say white privilege, you want to say the old boys network, whatever. Him getting the opportunity in the NFL and for everybody to have a guy who was sacrificed his career or had his career sacrificed because he made a stand, who still can't even get a tryout. Well, Tim Tim Tebow gets to have four of the opportunities to be a QB and now gets to switch positions and come right back into the league. Uh, people would pay top dollar to see him and Colin Kaepernick fight. I, I doubt Colin Kaepernick would do it, but people would pay for it. People would definitely pay for it. And I hate to say it, but there'd be a segment of black people who'd just be like, whoop his ass, Colin. This one's for us. Hopefully it would work out better than the Jake than the Jake Paul thing with the Nate Robinson. But there'd be there'd be a big segment. Colin Colin is too high and mighty for it. And I don't and, and I don't blame him. He He wouldn't do it, but I'm going for ratings. That that yeah. would it would be some ratings. It would be some ratings. I I, I, I could tell you that much. I wouldn't fight, I wouldn't have Tim Tebow fight. Colin Kaepernick. I would have him fight. If we're gonna stick within the NFL, I would have him fight Ryan Clark. Who? Ryan Clark? What? Are you serious? I, I, would Ryan. Go, I would go with like T.O. or somebody. Now I know Ryan Clark is, but I'm like Marshawn Lynch. How about that? I don't know, man. I mean, I would think Marshawn win, but I don't think I could handle if Marshawn lost. I can't take that chance. No, we can't. If anybody loses the Tebow week, none of us. Would would be able to survive from that. I mean, we can't have that. But Schwan, man, uh, we're at an hour. We're gonna go ahead and start closing out. Why don't you let everybody know what you're working on, my good friend? Um, I wrote. I'm gonna. I'm thinking. I'm gonna do an article for uh, Jessica. Jessica. Excuse me. Why am I saying Jessica? Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes fight. Um, just kind of give a, an idea of why she might be a threat to Nunes. Kind of be based off what based off of what I, I know of her about her fighting approach and her skill set, and also based off of some of the rougher fights that Amanda Nunes has fought. Um, it'll probably be like, I catch flack for all these articles because, you know, it's very, I mean, but the way I look at it is like everybody can write an article about who's the favorite and all that. We've already, we already know that. The job of a coach, the job, job of a good writer is to show the opposite side of it and give logical and legitimate reasons why the fight could go another way. You know, mm -hmm. the, Picking the right fighter is great. All that stuff. That I love that. That's fine. But understanding the context and the nuance of the fight is what's really important. And I like to try to communicate that to fans who who don't they don't talk to coaches. They don't they don't talk to coaches. They don't talk to fighters. That's what I, I do. Like some of the people who are saying, "Oh, you're an idiot." I'm like, dude, the champion of this weight class, their coach calls me and asks me for my opinion. So I'm going to give you some insight. Everything I'm saying is insight from my own perspective but also echoed by the perspective of the people who work with that person on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm just going to try to give them a coaching coach, a logical coaching reason as to why Julia Pena could possibly pull that upset, why she's a dangerous fight for Nunes. And um, I don't think many people think she is. So I don't think I'll have much competition in that lane of uh, writing. Okay. Good stuff. Um, as always, I'm covering plenty of professional wrestling. You know, you can catch all my content over at R. Garcia Sports over on Daily DDT and the Fan Sided Network. I haven't done much in the MMA space this month, but uh, I, you know, I always write it down on my list of things to do at the end of the week to kind of write some content for MMA, MMA ratings. But my schedule just gets so stacked. But I am making some shifts to my schedule, so that should make that should be more doable 
starting this week. But outside of that, man, it's just it's going to be another week of heavy wrestling. We got a, a pay-per-view this weekend, I think. No, next weekend. Um, so I have that to kind of begin covering for. I'm, you know, working on the site as always. Um, you, I have a question for you, actually. Go ahead. Have you heard of the, you know, the guy who used to play the Green Arrow, Stephen Amell? Yes. Yeah. Have you heard of his new show, Heels? I've seen it. I've seen it's on Netflix, right? Yeah. I've seen it where he's like a, a bad guy in pro wrestling. Yeah, like him and his brother, if I recall correctly. But I just thought that'd be interesting because, you know, as a martial artist, you can see a movie and be like, that's not real. That's whatever. Wrestler, that's not real. Whatever. Basketball, I can do that. Martial mm-hmm. arts, thing. Most people don't know wrestling well enough. So it's like, I want, I'm kind of curious on what your take is of an actual drama being built around the wrestling industry. Well, you know, he's had a few matches, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's I, I heard he did, did well. Yeah, and, and I mean, he, he did well. That show, Glow, is very well-loved, too, as well. The, the um, Netflix season about the women's. Yeah, I used to watch that show when it happened. Yeah. Yeah, that show, has, I didn't never watch it, but um, it, had some very, it had very strong reviews. I know a couple of women who were on that show were wrestlers beforehand, and now they're back to wrestling now that the show is canceled. But, uh, I mean, it could work. It could work if done right, especially if they have some. If they bring in people who will know about the business, it could definitely work. I might have to check that out because I've seen it scrolling by on Netflix when I log in, but I've never clicked on it. I know he's a big. I know he's a big fan of wrestling. I know he's always been a big fan of it, but I, you know, I just wondered if wrestling fans, people who cover it, looking at like, oh my god, what are they going to do to my to the to the maybe this. I don't think he has more respect for it than that, and I'm sure he's probably brought in some names that have been a part of his brief wrestling career as well to help with the show. So I'm, I, 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 I think he'll do it justice. I'm gonna check it out now that you mentioned it. Cool. But um, before we gotta do that, we'll be back next week for episode 206 of the MMA Ratings podcast. Be sure to always go over to our flagship at MMARatings.net and .com to check us out there to learn more about the show and what we're writing about. You can catch us across all the social media platforms at MMARatingsNet in every single space. So be sure to hit us up there. You can catch me at rgarcia underscore sports on Instagram and Twitter. Schwan, get him up at Black Drum Green. And we'll be back here next week for episode 206 of the MMA Ratings podcast. We have fights this weekend. I don't even know who the hell is fighting. I'm going to have to look it up tonight. But it's not a strong car. It's not a great yeah, car. Yeah, so like we'll, we'll we'll be talking about that and whatever uh, whatever whatever news comes out for the rest of the week. So Schwan, thank you, my friend. Um, don't piss off. Call me Brown between now and next week. I don't. I I don't. I, I don't think we should even said his name, dude. Because someone sends a clip. I don't. It's I'm like not, it's like uh, you, know you say his name three times and he's gonna pop up behind you. Then again, the ratings would go. You see what it did for his YouTube page, so maybe it's worth that is it. That's true. It's also true. So maybe we do need we need maybe we need to get him on the show, Swan, uh, Swan and let him have so, his way. Oh Lord, that's. Oh, we'll be I, back. Uh, we'll be back next week, everyone. Everyone, uh, stay safe. Wear your mask, and remember, Black Lives Matter. Have a good evening, everybody.